You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you'll please stand for the reading of God's word. Tonight we will be in Romans 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7. So verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of his holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren. Well, good evening. Good to see you. Welcome to Mercy View. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are visiting with us tonight, I want to say welcome to you and uh, pray that you would be encouraged by your time with us tonight. If I didn't get a chance to meet you, I would love to say hello after the service. I'll be hanging out up here. I would love to say hi. Um, one real quick announcement I want to add to what Lauren shared with you. Excited to uh, share that uh, our 10th anniversary celebration is right around the corner. Uh, we, uh, this year, entered into a 10th year of ministry as a church. Hard to believe, but the Lord has been gracious to us. And so uh, we typically celebrate our yearly anniversary at the beginning of the year because that's about the time that we planted Mercy View. But we just felt like maybe waiting a few more months, waiting till the end of the year. Uh, towards the end of the year, we would have an opportunity to uh, be together in a more meaningful way. And it seems like that's still the case. So we're excited to let you know about our 10th anniversary celebration that we would love for you to be a part of. We want to talk about it tonight because it's a little different than what we'll typically do on a, a weekend together. But our 10th anniversary celebration is going to be on Saturday, October the 30th. So just follow with me here. What we're going to do is at 4 o'clock, we're going to meet and have our normal worship gathering, our weekend worship gathering on that evening, Saturday, October 30th, but an hour earlier at 4 o'clock. It's going to be a shorter service. We're just going to celebrate what the Lord has done over these 10 years. And then at 5 o'clock, we are going to, tra oh, and by the way, no kids ministry, I think, right? Is that what we said for that evening? So everybody together, kind of a family gathering. And then from the service, we are going to go outside back uh, here just to the north where the parking lot is and party. We're going to have a party together. There's going to be food trucks and inflatables and carnival games. Um, and we're going to just have a good time together sharing life with one another, enjoying some good food. And yeah, just celebrating, uh, uh, continuing to celebrate. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Uh, here's what that means then. It means that we will not have a worship gathering the next evening uh, on, on Sunday, October 31st. So the service 
4 o'clock the night before on that Saturday, and then followed by a block party, after party, out on the grounds of Memorial. Clear as mud? Okay, good. Hey, um, I had the privilege on Friday of celebrating a birthday, and uh, I turned 29. I know it's hard to believe. I'm joking. I, it, actually, I'm, I'm 45, and um, the, the question in our home was, Brad, what do you want for your birthday? And I never really want anything, and so I was trying to think. I, I thought, I remembered back to my childhood, and one of my favorite desserts, it probably is my favorite dessert, was the cake that my grandma would just make, it seemed like, every time we were around. It was a very simple thing. It was an angel food cake with cream cheese icing. But of course, it was all homemade from beginning to end. It was just so good. That's what came to my mind. And so I, I said to Holly, I said, you know, that would be fun. Let's do that. And so Holly got the ingredients for it. And uh, we re- remembered we actually had a, a piece that we, we needed to, to make, like to get the use the mixer. And, and, and so we ordered it on Amazon. And, um, uh, but, but Sloan didn't know that. And so Sloan went ahead and started to make the cake anyways. And she did a, an amazing job and brought the cake to me last night, late, later in the evening and presented it to me. And I was blown away and it looked and tasted just like my grandma's cake. Now here's the thing about that cake. Uh, I didn't do anything to, to get it. I just had a birthday, right? I didn't go into the kitchen with Sloan and help her make the cake. If I would have done that, it really wouldn't have been a gift, so to speak, to me. I was able to receive a gift from my family, something that I love, but I didn't do anything to earn it. Angel food cake with cream cheese icing, hearkening back to my, my grandmother, Sloan making the cake, me receiving that cake really as a gift I began to think about that even today and realize that you and I really don't misunderstand gifts, if that makes sense. You receive a gift from someone, you know that that's what it is because you didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to receive it. We know that gifts aren't gifts if you have to work to make them. If I would have gotten into the kitchen with Sloan, it would have changed the nature of what she desired and and, and Holly getting the ingredients would have desired to give me as a free gift. It would have been fun to do something together for sure, but the cake wouldn't have been a gift to me. Gifts are gifts because they're received not by our effort, but because of the effort or the work of someone else. We continue a series that we began last week in the first eight books of the book of Roman, excuse me, first eight chapters of the book of Romans called Reign of Grace. And we really just introduced it last week. If you didn't have a chance to hear that, we sort of set the tone and the the framework for where we're headed in these first eight chapters. And tonight we want to begin to dig in in the very first part of Romans 1 and get our heads wrapped around why Paul is starting by talking about the things that he's talking about here in just these first few verses in the book of Romans. Last week, we looked at 
uh, Paul's credentials. Paul said, here is who I am, here is why I am what I am. And we're going to look at some of that a little bit more even today, but want to move on and look at, in particular, the purpose for which Paul was called by God and how that has any relevance to us. And as we do that, I want to invite you to really just see one thing this evening, and it's this. The gospel is an announcement that the work of redemption has been done for you. The gospel, the good news of the gospel is an announcement that the work of redemption, the work of forgiveness, the work of reconciliation back to God has been done for you, and it is a gift that you receive. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to Romans chapter 1. We said that last week we saw that Paul is a servant of Jesus. He was bought by Christ, and he's now ruled by Christ. His aim in life is now to please Jesus in all that he does. And it's important to say again that Paul serves Jesus in the power with which Jesus serves Paul. And it's very important for us to get that order right or we're going to actually misunderstand the entire uh, point of Romans. If we don't see that Paul serves Jesus in the power that Jesus himself supplies so that and we're going to end the plane here tonight, it's a little preview, so that Jesus gets all of the glory and gets all of the honor, we are going to start off in Romans on the wrong foot. Remember, Paul was called to be an apostle. What does that mean? It means that, that he was called by God, chosen by God to be a representative for God or a spokesperson for God in establishing that early church with that gospel. And then we saw last week, too, that God's sovereign hand said this, uh, did this for him, set him apart for this purpose. And this is really setting the stage for what we need to talk about this evening. But if you remember last week, it said that Paul was set apart for something. And it says that Paul was set apart for the gospel of God. And we said last week that God set Paul apart before he was even born. But Paul continues in verse 2, and he says that he was set apart even before birth for this gospel, which was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, this work of God is, is a work that shows us that God keeps his promises. Verse 2 is not uh, a statement only about the content of the gospel, but it is also a grounds for believing in it. But not only that, there are prophets through whom, not by whom, but through whom God speaks this promise in what? The Holy Scriptures. That Bible or electronic device that you have in front of you, that is what Paul is saying the gospel is found in those words. Why are they holy? Why are they called Holy Scriptures? Because it is God who speaks them, right? If you have ever wondered why on the front of most of your Bibles it says Holy Bible, it's because of Romans 1, 2. So the first thing that Paul says about the gospel of God is that it was planned, that it was predicted. And then the second thing he says about the gospel of God is that it concerns someone in particular, Look what he says, it concerns his, in verse 3, son. Or, said this way, the gospel of God 
has everything to do with the Son of God. Here's what Paul is getting at. At the very center of the gospel of God is a person. At the very center of the gospel is Jesus. When we talk about the gospel here at Mercy View, we have to remember this. At the very center of the gospel of God is a person. The gospel is not an abstract idea or proposition. Yes, it is good news, but at the very center of the good news is someone. Jesus, whom God planned before the creation of the world to be the Savior of the world. Paul goes on. The third thing that Paul says about the gospel of God is that this Jesus, the very center of the gospel, was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Here's what that means. First, the Son of God was sent by God the Father from the perfect community of heaven into our time and into our space, into our sinfulness as a man, fully human, while not losing at all his full divinity. And this task before Jesus required that he takes on flesh alongside this divine nature. This is at the very heart of John 3.16, which if you grew up in the church, you may have memorized. God did not choose a man and make him his son, He chose to make his eternal, one and only begotten son, a man, for the sake of sinners, you and I. But what is the importance of Jesus? Paul says uh, that he was a descendant of David. That's interesting, right? How is that a part of the gospel of God? Why is that good news? Well, in short, the answer is that all the promises of the Old Testament rested on the coming of this long-awaited Messiah who would rule from the king in the line of David, or rule as a king in the line of David, and bring righteousness and peace. And what Paul is saying is that this descendant would be the yes to all of God's promises, his prophecies. Jeremiah 23, 5 says it this way, the days are coming, this is the Old Testament, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch capital B branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So the gospel of God is the good news that now, after hundreds of years, God has acted to fulfill his plan and promise that a king would come in the line of David. And when Jesus enters into our time and space, that's what this means. He enters into this this muck and this mire of our sinful humanity to be the king, to reign, to rule over all. But there's one more thing that Paul says about the gospel of God here. Look there in verse 4. He says that God's Son was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So friends, when we talk about the content of the gospel, uh, this is essential as well. Yes, we need to talk about the life, the perfect life of Jesus. We need to talk about the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. Those are essential concepts or content of the gospel. But the resurrection of Jesus is an essential part of the gospel equation. And Paul really says two things about this resurrection. First, he said it was according to the spirit of holiness. This is an interesting way to say it, but what Paul is just trying to get across to us 
is that it was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. We're going to hear this later in Romans 8. But Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So this shows us that in the same way that you and I are raised by the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit raised Jesus in the same way. But second, the, the phrase spirit of holy, holiness means that, that Jesus was raised from the dead in accordance with the spirit who is perfectly holy. In other words, this holy spirit, not an evil spirit, not a dark spirit, but the very spirit of God himself, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection is an essential component of the gospel equation. And then I want you to notice a key phrase right in the middle of verse 4. It says that this all happens in power. The thrust of this is that at the resurrection, Jesus moved from being a, a son of God in the lowliness or limitations of his humanness to being the son of God with strength and might and power. He becomes king. This is why Jesus can say after the resurrection in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, Jesus is now king. He is reigning now over the world. He is working his ends out through his spirit and his church. And the day will come... When Christ will defeat every enemy and every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> now look with me if you would at verse 5. Let me read that for us again. It says, all of this is through him whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Notice that Paul says that this is through Jesus it is through Jesus that we have received grace. The name of our series is Reign of Grace. We just said that Jesus is now king, and his reign is one that is atypical of most kings. It's not a reign of, of fear or terror or of authoritarianism. No, at the very center of the reign of this king is grace. Now, the word grace is a word that you will see a lot in the Scriptures. It's used about 150 times in the New Testament. It's used over 100 times in Paul's own writings. About a quarter of those are found in the book of Romans. And you have to understand what grace is in order to understand Romans. We will not be able to decipher this book if we don't understand what grace is. Grace is at the very heart of this book. Grace is at the very heart of the gospel. Grace is at the very heart of God. Now remember all that we have talked about up to this point about the content and the center of the gospel. Paul says here in verse 5 that God's grace has come to him through Jesus. So here's what Paul is trying to tell us about grace. Listen, friends. Grace is given not earned. It is Jesus who secures it for us. We don't secure it for ourselves. In other words, there is no grace for sinners apart from the life, <clears throat> the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So where do we get that? 
Well, we saw last week that Paul was set apart for the, go- uh, for the gospel before he was born. Paul highlights the fact uh, of that to say grace is not God's response to something that we merit. In fact, Paul is saying really something very profound. Again, this is another thing that we have to understand if we want to understand the book of Romans. Grace is God's free gift before, before we do anything good. Or said another way, and we're going to see this again, recurring theme throughout the book of Romans. Grace is received by faith, not through works. Listen, friends, grace would not be grace if you earned it. We receive grace through faith by simply receiving it. Just like I received that cake uh, last night as a gift. Now Paul concludes this verse by saying this grace brings about something that he calls the obedience of the faith. Here's what Paul is getting at here. God gives gifts of grace so that it will bring about a certain effect. And we're going to see, particularly in the second half of Romans, Romans 9 through 16, that Paul cares a lot about what grace does in our lives, how it affects us, how it moves us towards obedience to God. But Paul is going to spend the first eight chapters of Romans to really drill down and make sure that we understand the nature of grace so that then we can, in the second half of Romans, understand the nature of grace and obedience. Because if we don't understand the relationship of grace and obedience, or even worse, we get it backwards, we can actually nullify the true nature of what grace actually is. And we can be motivated by the wrong things and think that somehow the commands of Jesus or the directives of Jesus are a means by which we earn favor from God. So let's get at it this way. God is the giver and initiator in our relationship, always. God wants his very heart, is at the very heart of who he is, wants to be gracious. God wants to be the fountain and the source of our obedience to him. Whether you are a parent or a student or a pastor or whatever calling you may have, God wants to be what motivates your service to him. God is is desiring to be the source of empowering grace. And so what he says to us is, I've already offered the grace to you. If you will receive that, if you will rely on me, if you will trust in me, that is your responsibility. But I will be the one that strengthens you through grace. And here is why. It's there at the end of verse 5. The inmost goal of all that God does in your life and in the world is that his name would be known. That his name would be lifted up and adored and revered and worshipped above anything else. We're going to see this in Romans 9, but he puts, uh, Paul puts it this way. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for the very purpose of showing my power in you so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is why God makes our redemption and all ministry or service that we, that we have dependent on him. It is because the giver desires 
to get the glory. If our ministry, if our service, our obedience isn't by grace through faith, guess who gets the glory? Maybe us, maybe no one. But if, if, if our, our obedience to God is truly by grace through faith, God gets all the glory. First Peter 4.11 puts it this way. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God gets the glory for our service, for our obedience, if God gives the grace for it. Are you with me? Right? And if we serve by faith in that grace, not our own, he gets lifted up. His renown is is made known to everyone. Isn't that what we want? Paul gives one of the most powerful nutshells of the gospel here in Romans 1. It is chock full with the content of the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and it's filled through and through. The thread that runs through it all is the very center of the gospel, Jesus. But why does Paul do this? Why does Paul start Romans this way? We've alluded to it already tonight, but he needs to help us understand the why of this book as we get started in this book. And honestly, what I see here at the very beginning of this book is he's wanting us to make sure that we understand the true nature of what he means when he uses the word gospel or grace. Picture this. Uh, there is, uh, you live in, in times before you, the news media that we have now with newspapers and television and the internet. Uh, the only way that you get your, quote, news is someone else has to tell you about it. And let's just imagine that you're in a town and your town is a part of a, a, a group of people that have went off to fight a military battle and you really have no clue whether you're winning or losing until the gates of your city open up and a person comes into that city and announces that you have been victorious. Your, your side has won the battle. That, that announcement brings then joy and gladness to your city because you know without that announcement, you, you may have lost. But it's good news coming to you. It's a good announcement that's come to you. That is what the, by the way, the very uh, word gospel means. It's an announcement. It's heralding. Good news has been announced for you. So here's the relevance for us, and it's the one thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. The gospel that Paul is saying I have been set apart for and experienced in my life, saying that gospel to him and to us is an announcement that the work of redemption has been done for you. The gospel is an announcement of victory. It's as if someone has come into the city walls of your heart and announced to you that your sin has been dealt with. You are now victorious. And here's what your response probably would be. I didn't do anything for that. Yes. The gospel is good news that something has been done for you. Or said another way, the gospel is not good advice about what you must do. It's good news about what has already been done for you. See, other religions in the world have a completely opposite message. Their message is, if you really want to meet God, 
you really want to get God, here's the things that you have to do to get him. Or here are the things that you have to continue to do to maintain that with God. What is that? Well, that is a religion giving you advice that they think is for your good, but that's all it really is. It's just good advice. But Christianity is something altogether different. It says if you really want to meet God, if you really want to get God, your responsibility is to receive something that's already been done for you. If you were to ask somebody here in Tulsa, which some still consider the Bible Belt, I have some concerns about that. I I don't know if we are in a Bible Belt uh, city anymore, but I understand there's still this layer, this remnant of of, a kind of a cultural Christianity. If you were to ask somebody here in Tulsa, what do you think the essence of Christianity is? I think probably nine times out of 10, what they would say is that the essence of Christianity is to be a good person, right? To live by the golden rule. Now, I think that's an incredibly great idea. We as Christians are called to that. Let's do it. Let's live by the golden rule. Let's be good people. But friends, that's not news. It's definitely not good news. That's not at the heart of Christianity either. It can't be because it, it's just advice. Here's why. There are only three responses to the idea of, of what the center of Christianity could be. One is to say it's grace, but, you know, whatever. It's to be apathetic and indifferent. But for some, it, 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 it's to say and it's to misunderstand grace and it's to say that's just too hard. I can't do that. Right? And you begin to see how the perspective has shifted. It's about what you do to earn it rather than what's given to you by, by grace. So what is the result of that? You re- realize over and over, I can't do enough or I don't know how. I don't know where the line is. I don't know what enough is. And you're going to be crushed and discouraged. But the third response is to do what the Pharisees say. And that's to say, oh, I can do that. I can pull that off. I can earn God's favor. And the result of that is a lot of pretending. And a lot of performing, which doesn't do anything. Do you see what's in all of those responses or those perspectives? It's all about rather your works, your ability. So here's the real test of whether you understand and have received the gospel. Is your faith about what you have done? Or is it mainly about what he has done? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Heard a story one time uh, about an older gentleman who was a former Marine. uh, He's in his 80s and he was accused of murder. And at one point... uh, there are some other Marines because this, this guy was former military that uh, came after this old man for this and, and another and a lawyer, a Navy lawyer. And as they're about to arrest him and cuff him, a friend of that old man pulled his tie aside. And under that tie was a Congressional Medal of Honor because that man in Iwo Jima had done acts of extraordinary valor and bravery beyond the call of duty. What happened in the next moment was was even more stunning. When he pulled aside his tie to show his medal, those Marines and that lawyer who 
were trying to uh, take down this old man who was accused of murder, immediately saw the medal and saluted. Just like that. That is an image of what Paul is talking about here, the beginning of Romans. On the cross, God made Jesus sin. Does that, does that mean that God made him sinful? No. It means that Jesus was treated as our sins deserve. He was given the treatment our record deserves. But that is why the gospel is good news. The reality is, is that our works condemn us. And if this is true, if that is true, it means this. It means that someone else's good works has to cover you or you have no hope. And the good news of the gospel is that when you receive the grace of God by faith, you become covered with his medals. You are covered by all the awards and the medals of his valor and his cosmic bravery because he took on your sin. Friends, that is the good news of the gospel. I'm so thankful that is not just good advice. It is the good news that the work of Jesus on your behalf can now be received by faith. The work of Jesus now becomes your righteousness. What an exchange. The slate has been wiped clean. You have received the cosmic medal of honor. Is it undeserved? You better believe it. But is it a gift of grace that you can receive? You better believe it. Praise the Lord that in the gospel we have more than just facts and information, but an announcement that that God loved us enough to exchange our sin for his righteousness. Friend, if you want to meet God, if you want to get God, you have to receive something that has already been done for you. And the good news of the gospel is that it already has your job, your responsibility is just to receive it. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together.